Hey, everyone. Today, we're going to talk about a really interesting topic because, you know, as a thought leader in customer success, I always think that to really achieve customer retention at a very high level, you have to deliver a superior customer experience. And in fact, you have to embrace customer success philosophy across the organization. And usually the chief customer officer owns not only customer success, but also customer support. So I wanted to double click a little bit on the topic of if you are leading a customer support team or if your customer success umbrella also includes support, what does it mean to actually embrace customer success methodologies within support? Where are the opportunities to take customer support to the next level? And I have a very special guest today, Michael Blaisdell, who's been doing customer support, professional services, and customer success for well over two decades. And he, in fact, the the person that pushed companies and the business world was probably the first one that I've known of to really put all the efforts into promoting this as a strategy for companies by establishing the Customer Success Association. And if you haven't had a chance to check his website out, it has a ton of resources I'll include the link in the description below. Hi, Michael. Hey, Ari. Thanks for having <laughs> me on your uh, channel. Some things that people don't know about you is that you actually work with companies to help them think about what should their strategy be, what should their business model be. You offer coaching to various CS professionals. Yes, the conversations get interesting at times. I would say that. Probably Michael is the first person I would call if I have a question about what I should do with my business because he's, he's just that smart. So hopefully this conversation will also help you get some insights. I'm sure Michael has a lot of really good insights and perspectives on things, and I, I really can't wait to dig into this topic. On behalf of the community, I just wanted to thank you for all your contribution, for connecting us all together for starting the first meetup in the world, for talking to everybody to create clearance around this and connecting people, creating such a wonderful resource with the Customer Success Association. And so if you haven't had a chance, people, to check out his website, go ahead, sign up, support Michael in all his initiatives. He also released a standard for what is a customer success manager, which initially when you brought up the idea, everybody said, no, 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 it's too early, <laughs> Michael, not yet. But I think now might be the time to actually really look back and say, you're a visionary. You knew that this will happen. You collected the data and you came up with a standard. And now everybody's like, yeah, we should have a standard. <laughs> this is what it might look like. Yeah. We should. Yeah. So love you for it. Thank you for everything that you do. And now let's get into the topic of the day. You're one of those unique people that really have a lot of strategic experience around both support professional services and customer success. So you've been doing this for many, many years. Mm -hmm. If we look at SaaS companies, a lot of times they have both technical support reporting into a head of customer success. What do you think that is? What are sort of like the alignments between those two teams? Because on the outside, you might say, well, support is very reactive and customer success is super yes. proactive. So how can the same executive handle both? So maybe you can kind of share what are the things that align to one another and why companies do that so frequently? 
Well, it's a tendency that began really with the origins of the customer success group. In a number of cases, the CEO would walk into the support group and wave the magic wand and say, henceforth and forevermore, you are now customer success Mm. and nothing would change. That wasn't particularly useful to anybody, but it did happen and it still does happen. The primary reason I look at is really utilization of human resources. In order to play in the reactive break-fix world of support, you have to know the product inside out. You have to have a wealth of, of technical knowledge and you have to know the customers. Those are expensive knowledge resources to have. So it makes sense that you want to avoid duplicating them as much as you can. And so that's why you tended to group support under success because you were drawing on the same skills because the success people have to know about the product. They have to know about the customer. And above that, they have to know about domain expertise so that they can speak with a voice of authority, which the support folks also speak with a voice of authority, but theirs is about the product. And theirs is representing how the product functions. Success is more about how to use it to increase your productivity and your profitability. So there's a natural alignment between the two because they're talking to the same people. And in some cases, they're giving out the same messages. So that's why the origins came that way. There are some companies when they just start customer success, they actually take their support team or they add a team and then they end up very quickly also solving support tickets. Why do you think this is happening and like, what is the ramifications of that? A customer with a problem will call into support and they'll get somebody who really they have a rapport with, they're able to talk to and their problem gets solved. And that's born what we used to call support. The I only want to talk to Joe syndrome gets born because after all, if I've worked effectively with this support rep, I want to talk to him or her. Again, no, I don't want to talk to to, uh, to Fred. Give me Susie because she's yeah. nice and, and she gets the job done. So it's a relationship. Same thing happens in success. If George in success has a rapport with the customer, really, you know, the customer knows they care, then naturally the customer wants to talk to them. Mm. So they will bypass the support team if they've got a support issue and they'll call their favorite person in success. Mm. What the customer wants is connect me as quickly as you can to a competent, courteous representative who will completely solve my problem in the shortest amount of time. And they don't really care who that is as long as they get that result. So yes, you do get a lot. I've had clients tell me, well, we noticed that a lot of our calls coming into success were really support calls. So what we did is we simply told the success people, don't take those calls. Yeah, That's not going to work because the success people want to help their customers. They want to stay close to them. Maybe they won't log the call. Maybe they'll, they'll divert it somehow or other, but shut these people off. No, that doesn't work. And that has another effect. Even if they do, that increases the load on support. If support didn't plan for that, that all of a sudden has a dramatic impact on support. And it doesn't satisfy the customer. And that's what we have to do. Well, that's the reality. And I think that in general, I would definitely recommend that executives, first of all, separate the roles if they haven't already. Because the main thing is that support and customer success have completely different goals and KPIs. 
Yes. And I feel like when executives just establish one team that does both, including onboarding, they really don't understand that the same human can be focused on 10 different things. And so you always compromise to some degree, and it's not a very scalable model. Do you, do you agree with that? Well, yes. The problem really is, is, is the failure to set the customer expectations mm-hmm. and to give the customer the proper channels for going. Again, to get maximum utilization out of your human resources, yeah, you do want to put onboarding and, and customer support and customer success together, but you have to do it properly because if you don't, you get the kind of chaos that you were sort of pointing at and the, the inability to scale on it. Yes, the support people, they have their role and the, the customer needs to be educated that if the product is not functioning as documented, call support. But see, how does the product work is support. How do I use that product to increase my productivity and my profitability? That's success. And the support people used to call those call the kind of how do I use it calls. That's training over the phone. And it's very inefficient because you just can't staff for that. And it screws up their staffing algorithm. The success people really do want to talk about how do I use it? But they have to ask themselves, is the most effective way to transmit this one-to-one conversation? I ask clients, do you have a communication strategy? Which conversations take place where? If you're going to scale... You have to answer that. This kind of a conversation, I can automate. That kind of a conversation, like renewal, upsell, money calls. No, 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 no. I want that human to human because I want the benefits of the rapport. Let's say I'm an executive and I have two different teams. One is the technical support team and the other one is is the customer success team. Let's Mm -hmm. talk about the synergies. I think a lot of times executives run both teams very separately So let's maybe start with what's the standard of how support helps customer success. And then maybe we could add some additional insights of how you've seen innovative organizations amplify that to the next level. What kind of innovative things have we seen that support does to help customer success with our mission to create business outcomes for their clients? Sure. The primary thing that support has that they can contribute to success is information. Hmm. And years and years ago, in the course of doing operational reviews of support groups, I would go back to senior management team and say, there is a wealth of data about how your customer is using the product and wants to use the product that are happening down in the hotline and support, but it stays there. Unfortunately, the support folks have a bad habit of sitting on their data And with this idea that, you know, if anybody wants to know what we know, they'll come and ask. And it doesn't work that way. You have to market it. And there's really a couple of things. You have to figure out who else in the organization could use this data and how do I get it to them? With support and success, if I'm in support and I know the mission of success and I hear something over that hotline or in course of doing a a chat or an email-based or an in-app support call, if I hear something that I know is important to my colleagues in success, how do I get it to them? And one of the big ones there is very, very common that support people will have a very good sense of the politics in the customer organization. They will know about who's their real strong champions, and they may also know if there's a detractor and how powerful that detractor is. 
And that'll just happen naturally in the course of the support calls that the, the customer caller will say, I really like the product. I want to hang on to it, but there's somebody trying to get us to shift. And that somebody is in this position. Well, that has nothing to do with resolving the support case, but that information is vital for the success people. So I want to get off this call, handle this issue, capture all of that information and get it right to the customer success manager so they know there's trouble brewing and this is its name and this is what you do about it. In the same way, the support folks will take a call or a case or a ticket from somebody who wants to use the product in a given way, except that the product really wasn't designed. I mean, it works, but it really wasn't designed for that. So that's information that here I am in support. I need to get that information to success. And I also need to pass it to development so that they understand that there's people interested in doing this and we need to explore how can we facilitate this? So the core value there that support has is its information. What we really need to do, and some companies are, will facilitate ways of communication. I mean, years and years ago, oh, this was at Aldous PageMaker, way, way back along. They had regular daily meetings between support and development called, here's what we're hearing. And the support folks would present, customers asked for this, customers asked for that. Customers couldn't do this, or they found the messaging about the help screens, how you do this really difficult. So that that was an established formal feedback channel that went from support to development. Same thing should exist between support and success. Here's what we're hearing. Because that way, in those conversations, the success people can also say to support, hey, listen, if you hear things like this, we want to know about it. And here's why it's important. So you get this you know, back and forth communication. So each side knows what the other wants. That's awesome. Actually, that's a brilliant idea. Have daily stand-up calls with support. Here's what we're hearing. Give us a few examples of what you're hearing customers are complaining about. It's like a theme. Mm-hmm. And that can either give you the playbook on how to address it, or we'll put it in the roadmap, <laughs> or at least be aware of it, right? Yes, put it in the roadmap, get ready for it. Yeah. And we have the methodology. One of the things about SaaS in particular, if, you know, if we look at software, since the software now lives on your servers, not the customer's, You have taken the desktop operating system out of the equation. And that right there was at least half, if not much more, of the support burden. And now it's gone. Support departments and SaaS companies are smaller than they used to be. And that's why. But you've got this opportunity. You can watch in real time what the customers are doing with the feature set. Now, with that data, what we need to do is, is what does this mean? How do we use that? You know, support sees this. They were getting it all along with people talking about, this is what I see, this is what's going on. But what does it mean? That's not support's role. It is success's role. So we got to get that information to success to where they could effectively use it. Awesome. Okay. So we talked about how support really functions as a listening post mm-hmm. for important customer feedback, customer insights, insights around usage and adoption, insights around potential M&A, potential, I don't know, churn even, Mm -hmm. the fiduciary of the executives is really create a formal channel so that when they do hear something, they have a formal way where they can communicate it so we can track it and even get back to it and get the most out of that feedback. 
Let's talk a little bit about how customer success has data that can actually help support. I think there's a lot of conversations around how can customer success leverage support data and support insights, but there's less conversations around how can customer success now feed support back? Mm -hmm. I don't hear a lot of initiatives around that. What do you think about that? What kind of data points or insights should support be asking customer success for? Success can talk about the priorities and work with support to explain what support can do about those, how to interpret them. When certain keywords are used, then it tells you what the conversation is going to be about. Success can also give links to data resources. There's no reason why a support rep in the middle of a conversation on something that doesn't seem related, but the customer is asking about that to say, oh, well, I got something here. Bang, bang, bang. Here's five links to stuff in the knowledge base about how that works that you can read and work with after the call is is over. And then talk to your success manager if you have further questions on that and then refocus. It's a matter of understanding the broader picture. If you were to change the support team's behavior, shouldn't we really look at two things? One is like, Fundamentally, the KPIs in which we judge the support's performance. Right now, it seems a lot of a, about did we reach our SLAs? How fast did we solve the issue? Well, our, our problem there goes back to that staffing algorithm. We constantly hear on the success side, we need more CSMs. If we sell 50 more customers, what does that do to our workload in customer success? I can answer that very easily in customer support, because I've got the data on duration, volume, skills required, frequency, all that stuff. But if we change that, if we change supports KPIs, we will affect that staffing algorithm because it will necessarily affect how long those conversations happen and how many of them there are. In my mind, I think one area that we can impact the supports behavior is not to turn them into customer success managers, but rather Should we leverage the health score that customer success has is developed for customers in general? And if we see that a customer is already in red or in risk to churn, should we impact the priorities? Oh, yes. Should ARR, health score, whether or not the customer is an advocate, impact the way we prioritize tickets? I don't think a lot of support teams do. And by the way, it doesn't impact the way that they interact with clients. Obviously, they're still going to do break fix. But I'm kind of shocked that it's 2023 and we're still in the minutia of how horrible is the technical issue specifically and not have considerations around segmentation, probability of churn, how close is the renewal date? Well, support reps have always known who they're talking to. And over time, they will get a sense of how important that customer is to the company. They build that knowledge through various ways. They get it when the salespeople come running into support screaming, you've got to fix my customer because there's a big sale hanging on this and it's got to be fixed now. So they understand the strategic importance but they don't have the information or they've never had it before about the ARR, about really down and dirty why this customer is so important. They also don't have the knowledge of where is this customer on the customer journey? Where are they in the progression from just starting out? Hopefully we want to get them to be a tier one customer. So 
what conversations will happen along that way, what issues are to be expected. Support typically doesn't have that. They prioritize on the severity. Is this issue stopping this business from working? That yeah, takes yes or no. I'm just saying, I guess, my contention, and I had a conversation with the Almeor, who's the VP of Customer Success, the East Coast, and he was like, you know, Irit, I own both support and customer success. And I see that on an ongoing basis, support is really prioritizing tickets based on how important or critical the break is. Mm -hmm. And I agreed with him in, in 2023, we should have other ways to prioritize tickets beyond the impact on the customer's ability to do business. It should also be about their segmentation. If the renewal is coming up in three months or not, are they currently in red or not? Are they in onboarding? Also a critical phase. Are they in go live mode? Mm -hmm. Critical phase. And so why are we prioritizing tickets differently in 2023 when we have so much more information? I guess that's the million dollar question. And how come Zendesk and all these support ticketing systems are not leading the charge towards best practices and thought leadership around this so that businesses start embracing these methodologies faster. As I said before, it's about the primary reason there is about adherence to schedule. In other words, don't take extra time in an interaction because it will screw up the operation. And literally, you can have a scenario where a couple of conversations that go over time but why would you have an overtime conversation? It would take the same amount of time to solve the actual ticket. But in the system, if system can prioritize and say, work on this ticket first versus that ticket, but the priority changes based on more information that we can get from tools, from the CS tool, why are we doing that? That's my contention. I'm not trying to change the way support managers are behaving with customers. I'm questioning how the system, the software is prioritizing support ticket. Why is level one, level two, tier one, tier two tickets still mainly, majorly based on the severity of the technical issue where we have so much more information these days? Yes, we do. And the ticketing systems generally don't give that information to the support rep. They'll show the support right. rep how many people are waiting in queue to get to them, what their backlog is. They'll, as the support rep is entering in the specifics of the problem, off on the side, the knowledge base articles will be triggering and showing, okay, here's the potential answer for you. So it's all very technically oriented with the object of save time, get to the answer quickly and give it to them. Because if they don't, for example, I did a project for a software company. Their service level was they were getting to about 50% of their calls in five to six minutes on hold and the balance in another 10 minutes after that. And I came in and I analyzed the situation and I said, you're not effectively utilizing your people. Mm -hmm. So we did a re-engineering process. And at the end of that, their service level went to where they got 99.9% .9 of all their calls in 60 seconds or less and the balance in another 10 seconds after that without increasing headcount. We sent all everything into a first level and I taught the reps in first level. Your job in the instant you, that conversation begins is to assess, am I gonna be able to solve this within three minutes or not? And if I'm not going to be able to solve it, then what I need to do is escalate it to level two. 
And what that means is not I hand it off to somebody else. It means I keep the case, but I escalate myself and the case into level two. And my support manager knows to fill in somebody else to cover the hole that I left. That way, because everything runs off that service level. I have no problem with adding additional information, like how important is this customer? Where are they? Somebody's early on in onboarding. I automatically know it's going to take longer to answer their question because they're not familiar using the system. So I know as a support rep, I have to escalate myself and the customer right out of level one and get somebody to cover for me while I'm handling this. How long has the company been doing that? This is the traditional way of doing things. Is that like 1960, 1970, and how software companies handling support prioritization? That's basic queuing theory, and it goes back to 1909. It's been 100 years. Should we do things differently? We still face the same challenge. How fast does fast have to be? And what does it mean to completely resolve a customer's issue? Now, before, it was all about as soon as I've given them the answer, the error was yours. You put this data in when you should have put that data in, or you should have used this screen when you should have used that screen. As soon as I gave them the answer, I'm done. Fine. There will be some that are three minutes, but you will always have about 20, 30% at least that's going to be more than three minutes. Out of those, I need to pick and choose which ones I'm going to work on. Why am I not working on those where the renewal is upcoming in three months? If I had like, a hundred that would all take me two, three days. Why am I not prioritizing those, not just based on my technical mm-hmm. aptitude and the technical severity, but also based on if they're all the same and I have a hundred or a thousand of these, why am I not further prioritizing based on health score, renewal date, ARR? That is the question. For the life of me, don't understand why Zendesk and all these other software support ticketing systems, I don't know, give me another name, I forgot, whatever. Team support, they've actually got a success module, team success, they're really integrated tight. But you already know the answer why the support rep doesn't do that. It's because the technology doesn't give him or her. Hello, ding, that's it. What they don't know. So they have to work on what they do know. Exactly. So I'm not saying that it's their fault, but I am calling out and I'm having a discussion with another thought leader. Should software companies that develop support solutions, the calls to arm to these companies to say, ding dong, it's 2023. We're not in 1909. We should change the way support tickets are being prioritized beyond the technical challenge and to give support agents more information about the customer very quickly. We should have these integrations. And understand the meaning of when you broaden out the range of knowledge available to the support agent and you change the definition of what constitutes a completely closed and satisfied issue. I'm not objecting to doing that. I am saying that when you do that, you will have to make changes in your staffing to cover for this. And you will have to make changes above all. When you first communicate to the customer and you introduce them to the resources that they have available to them, hi, this is the support group. This is a success group. This is how you use them to maximum advantage. And you know, takes- theoretically, you might be actually, actually right. Like the more information I give the support agent, the more he might address different issues, the more he might 
ask about the renewal if the renewal is coming and now he knows that the renewal is coming. He might ask, okay, does this solve your technical issue now? And then they might ask things related to the renewal because they're curious, because they're intelligent, because the data is all there. Maybe theoretically, the question is, let's say supposedly that that's true. Proof is in the pudding. Obviously, we need to try and see. But if we do allow that, does the customer get a better, more personalized customer experience when they do support tickets? Does it elevate their experience? And with that, is the lagging indicator that's going to be impacted going to be renewals, expansions, and advocacy if we did allow for that? So that would make the ROI and investment potentially additional support agents, theoretically. Would that more than pay for itself? Oh, I think so. Absolutely. You increase the loyalty. There's no question that you get a better experience when you call in and they greet you by name and they know about you. Oh, yeah, you'll get a better experience and you will tend to want to stay with that company. Another thing that may pop up in there, giving support access to more information, Mm -hmm. is if my contacted company ABC calls me, relates a problem, and I, okay, I explain it and I solve it. The next one that's going to pop in my mind, if I've been talking to my friends and success is who else might be affected by this and who else might be affected that happens to be up for renewal or is a good prospect for expansion. So all of a sudden now I may consider, I think I better reach out to these other folks and let them know that A, this is a problem. B, we're working on it. We expect to have it fixed in such and such a time. And you've got the data to do that. And if you do that, you're going to increase the loyalty, no question. It will take you a little longer to take that step, but I think it's well worth taking. Yeah. Well, lots of good thinking and uh, strategies for anybody that owns the support function in their organization to think about how can they take their support methodologies and practices to the next level by embracing customer success, philosophies, and methodologies and data, honestly, and then calls to arm to all those software companies that do handle support tickets. So with that, I want to really thank you for brainstorming with me on this because I know it's kind of like out of left field. There's a lot of good information here for those that are just entering the field or looking to switch from support to customer success and trying to better understand, you know, what would that look like if they were to switch roles and then how can they leverage their support experience as they transition over to customer success to really take the relationship between the two functions to the next level? Yes. And and thank you for having me on for this. This was fascinating. It's one of my favorite subjects. Just to to double click maybe on the Customer Success Association, can you tell people a little bit about it and how many members do you have right now and what does it include? Well, it actually began with a series of meetings in the San Francisco Bay Area where I would get together monthly and we'd explore different topics. Before that, I established a forum on LinkedIn and I noticed that I was getting the same questions in the forum as I was from the local folks. And it was more than that. The forum began to expose me to people literally all over the world who were all asking the same questions. And there wasn't a central place where they could go to find names of resources, you know, technology, training, answers of all kinds. So I decided, okay, obviously the need is greater. So I established the Customer Success Association, built the website, and the fun began. Because from 350 members in the LinkedIn group, 
in 2009 were pushing rapidly towards 56,000 worldwide. I mean, it's the largest gathering of customer success people anywhere. The website continually gets hit. I put lists of technology so that if you're looking for something to augment your technology stack, the links are all there. I'm completely vendor neutral. I list everybody as long as they're dedicated to customer success. But it goes further than that. There's consultants like yourself. And I stepped back from the going out to the customer site every other week to meet with them because I don't have the energy to do that anymore. I leave that to, to, to folks like you. But I still talk to, you know, I'll get calls, I'll get Zoom requests, I'll get emails. Currently, you know, I put the membership somewhere about 58, 59,000. But that includes both people who are registered as associate members at the website and those who are just members of the LinkedIn group. I mean, it doesn't really matter to me. They're just connections. All right. If you enjoyed this video, everyone, just give it a like, comment below. You can ping Michael on his LinkedIn group or join as a member to his Customer Success Association. I'll include all the links below. And with that, we're wrapping up. I'll see you at the next video.